fees. And we're just talking about seeking God. And we launched last week looking at the wise men who were seeking the king of the Jews. And how they, they traveled, they spent time, they spent resources to come and to worship the king of the Jews. And that ultimately when we seek God, it should be out of this, this heart of worship. It should be this thing in us that, to, to genuinely worship God. But see, one of the things that we need to make sure in this as well, especially, and we can really begin to wrap our minds around this during the holiday season, because we all want, you know, I want my kids to come up to me on, on Christmas morning and it be about their relationship with me, not just about, Daddy, what'd you give me? Daddy, what'd you give me? Daddy, what'd you give me? Oh, da, da. You know, they know Daddy's got gifts for them. They've already seen them under the tree. They know those things are there. But it's about the relationship. It's about, it's about me and them. See, in seeking God, we should seek God himself. See, so easily we can shift it into seeking what God can do for us. But we should seek God himself. We should seek to know God and know him more than we seek what he can do for us. Now, God is not a God who's far off and doesn't want to do anything for us. He doesn't, we're not twisting his arm with prayer trying to him to grudgingly step in and our, on our behalf and bless us. God wants to do that. But when we begin to understand who God is, then it is so much easier to interact with him in prayer. We know what to expect whenever we're connected with him. Now, some of you have got to know my parents and know my dad. And uh, my dad is a fairly quiet guy, uh, fairly reserved. My mom's the more talkative one. I take after her in that, not so much my dad. And uh, so he's the, he's the more reserved one. And he, um, I don't remember as a kid him ever getting a speeding ticket. He always drives the speed limit. He's always real controlled. And we, we would... <laughs> My wife will still nudge me every once in a while, and because my dad's name is Eddie, but she calls him Eddard, and uh, she'll nudge me if I'm driving too slow. And she'll go, "Come on, Eddard, you know you don't you don't need to be going, you don't need to be going that slow." Because we'd be going down our street, and my dad's going at like seven miles an hour, looking at everybody's grass, <laughs> saying, well, "Yeah, there's their, their yard looks good this year. Oh man, they're yeah, no, they need to mow." I mean, we're just like, "Come on, Dad, we're not." This isn't, you know, the, the parade of homes here. We're trying to get somewhere. But he's just that way. He just laid back and relaxed on that issue. But, but, my dad was raised on the lakes. And so my dad it was just a lake rat as a kid. And we had a boat. That was his college graduation gift. So they had had a boat all while I was growing up. And uh, my dad's not a fisherman. What my dad loves to do is to get people on the end of a rope and try to make them fall. That was his, that was his hobby. That was what he enjoyed. And uh, he would, so we would go out and he would, it's, I mean, from, I don't remember the first time I got drugged behind a boat on something. I mean, it was just always part of what we did. He was teaching us to ski and, and to all of the different, all the different stuff. And my dad was so reserved out on the road but you get him behind a boat and it was a totally different man and uh, does anybody remember the old old sad sad sylvester stallone movie he should have never made it over the top anybody ever see that movie it was like the the rocky of arm wrestling and so i don't know i don't know why they decided to do that but they they made this movie over the top and in there sylvester stallone's character 
he would wear this, he was a truck driver, and he'd wear this truck driver hat all the time. But when he was arm wrestling, then he would take that hat, and he would spin that hat around backwards. And he had this quote in the movie that when he turns his hat around, he becomes a machine. Cheesy line, I know. But I tell you what, my, that, that worked on my dad. I'm telling you, when we got on the boat and you saw him turn that cap around backwards, you knew you better hang on because he was going to let the hammer down. Isn't that right, Ginger? He just went, whoop, and it was, it was on. And he knew two speeds on that boat, wide open and stop, and that was it. And uh, I'd never seen my dad drag race at all. It was a 1965 Glastron with this ginormous, monstrous Evinrude engine on the back. It was just, oh, my mom reupholstered the seats with towels. And so it wasn't the prettiest, fanciest boat on the, on the lake. That boat would move. And my dad actually, he actually drag raced a guy. The guy comes up with this new boat and womp, womp. My dad was like, whoa, and just gone. It's like, how's my dad? That's Mr. Isn't that lawn look good? Like, well, who is this guy? Where does this come from? And so we had to get to know and understand so in those contexts that there was a different expectation with my dad. Man, you did not just lazily sit on one of those floats. And he, liked, he had a long rope. He, he would drag us like way back there. And one of his favorite things is he'd go out and pull the slack out and then he would turn the boat around and aim it at you. And then just whoosh. And then he'll pass you like 30 feet to the side and you're just going because he's flying and you're stopped and when that slack is gone boom it's just on and he would he loved to knock us off and i was like who is this man but when we got when we knew him we knew what to expect out of him you know if we had took a friend or a relative or something out to the lake you just want to just laugh Say, man, they're they going to think that my dad's going to be all sweet and nice. And Keenan still to this day is grateful that his grandfather has a 21-foot pontoon boat with a 60-horsepower 60 60 motor because it won't do over 21 miles an hour. And he's like, that is perfect for Papa. I mean, for Poppers. That is perfect for Poppers. And because uh, Keenan does not like being behind the boat at high rates of speed. But we began to know in him, we knew how to interact with him. We had learned who he was, and then we knew how to interact. That's why we have to seek God. We have to seek to know God. And then when we seek to know God, it becomes so easy to know what to expect out of God because we know who he is. We know his character. We know what he's like. We know his heart. Of course, this is Christmas time, and normally we don't put our Christmas gifts out to the, till the night before. It has nothing to do with Santa Claus. We don't do the Santa thing. It's just because we don't like wrapping them, and we don't like the kids shaking them. We're trying to figure out what's going on. So we just keep everything hidden, and then the night before, we just stay up to like 3 o'clock in the morning, wrapping, 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 and then boom, everything's under the tree, and they come out, and then there, there it all is, and just the, the shock and awe factor. Well, this year, we are having to put them out early, and I didn't want the kids to do the little shaky thing. So I made a code, and I just did symbols on their presents. And so and there's just these, just these symbols on there. And they, I bring these things out. And the kids are like, what is this? What is this code? This is just wrong. And uh, so Keenan's trying to figure it out. And he's like, he's like Dad, Dad, what, is this just random? And so and at first I wouldn't tell him. He's like, but Dad, 
if I know you, there's meaning behind the symbol. And I was like, well, son, yes, there's, there's meaning. There's, it is not random. This code is breakable. If, you, <laughs> if, you, if you'll think about it, you can bust this code because it is not random. And so they haven't broken it yet, but they're working on it. But it was that, that thing that just grabbed me. It was that if I know you, then I can expect this. And that's the way we are with God. When we begin to really know who he is, all of a sudden, we, his character becomes out and we know how to interact with God. We know what to expect of God in our lives. We know if, if things aren't coming together in our timeline, that we don't begin to worry that God just forgotten about us. And because we know he doesn't forget about us. A sparrow doesn't fall without his notice. His eyes are on his children. So we can relax and go, man, God's there because I know him. It may not be in my timeline, but God doesn't fail. So I can be, okay, God, I'm sweating it a little here, but I know you're good. See, Acts 17, 24 through 27, God wants us to seek him. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that, all, <clears throat> that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each of us. That is God's desire is that we would seek him and reach out for him. And find him. God wants that from, from the very time of our existence in the, in the total chronos of history to our, our place geographically on the planet. God is setting things up, knowing you uniquely so that you would seek him out. Understanding how we are and who we are and how we're wired so that we would seek him out. God wants us to seek him. Psalms 27, 7 and 8. The psalmist says, this is David saying, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. See, there's a difference on seeking God's hand, on what he can do, and seeking his face, on knowing who he is. There's a difference between the two. It's the difference between somebody just seeking the Christmas gift or seeking to really spend time with the gift giver. The gift giver does it not as a bribe to spend time together. Oh, if you come to my house, I'll give you something. No, it's we're showing up there anyways because I care about who you are. And I care about who you are and I'm going to bless your life. Psalms 105 verse 4 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. Always. Always. You see, needs in our life come and go. There's sometimes you're in dire need of rent, and there are other times you're not. And so if we just seek God when the, the rent checks do, then we're just seeking God when we're short on cash. But see, that's why it says seek his face always. It's not seek what God can do for you because our needs fluctuate. But our need for him and to know him is constant. See, that's what makes heaven heaven is that God's presence is always there, that he, we are there completely in the presence of God. 
It's not that we don't need rent anymore. It's not that our, our bones don't ache anymore and all those are wonderful. All that is wonderful. It's the fact that we're there with God. That He is our exceeding great reward. We're there in heaven with our Creator and the one who loves us so, so, so much. See, I have this, I have this idea on, on standing before God and, and, and heaven being so wonderful. And uh, see, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And when I was younger and understanding God as all-powerful, not so much understanding God as all-loving, but understanding God is all powerful. Whenever I was younger, I saw, okay, well, it's come a day. God's going to enough is enough. And, and the end of time is here. And everybody is coming before him. And those that have bowed before him and chosen him as their king and as their God, sure, they've, they've already bowed and will continue to bow. But then those who've been resistant of heart, within well, there and God forces them to bow every knee will bow like that. You will clean your room. You will do what I say. You will, your knee will bow one way or the other, boy. And that's really not it at all. See, that I believe that it's that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Because as we stand in front and, and that veil is removed, and we stand before God who loves us so incredibly, so much to send his own son in the form of a baby, putting it in the hands of, of man, knowing what was going to take place, knowing what had to take place. That we're going to stand in front of perfect love and look into the, to the eyes of perfect love and we will fall head over heels in love with God. Those that, have, that knew God in this life and those that rejected God, you will not be able to resist the perfect love of God. And then at that point, God responds to us. And we will say, it'll just come out of us because it's true. You are God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess because it's true. And our hearts will be overwhelmed. And then God speaks. And he says one of two things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Which would be the greatest news ever. You're there in the perfect, perfect realm of love, looking into those eyes, looking into that heart. And that's the greatest news that I get to be forever with God. The greatest agony of my life was watching my future wife. She's dropping me off to go to ASU, drive away. Her head peering out of the back of my parents' suburban. We... And I was not going to get to be with her. And just just cried. I mean, just gut-wrenching. Crying. It's so incredibly painful because I was being separated from my love. Even though I knew it was in a few weeks I'd get to see her. Just that, that was so hurtful. For years, Cutie had bad dreams about that same moment. I mean, it was just, oh, it was just so hurtful. And those that don't know God, then they hear this. Depart from me, for I never knew you. You know, we hear that, that and read that the Bible says that hell is where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe that it begins right there on that moment. As they are being drugged away 
and just crying. No, no. I've just looked into the perfect love, understanding perfect love, and then to live forever apart from that. Never designed for that, but to live forever apart from that. How how horrible of weeping and struggling and no, and just all of that guttural emotion coming out of being pulled away from perfect love. See, that's the difference between heaven and hell. It's love. It's getting to be with love or be away from love. That is the difference between those two. And we have to seek God because he is that love. He loves us that much and to know him. And we begin to understand that. We begin to see how wonderful and how loving God is. Then, man, it becomes so easy to trust him. That's why our core mission gets boiled down to this one thing is to teach people to know God better and to trust him more. Because we know that if you will know God and understand who he is better, then you'll begin to trust him with more of your life. We begin in trusting him with our eternity. And then we begin to trust him in our relationships. And we begin to trust him with maybe our finances. We begin to trust him with this hurt and this forgiveness that just we can't seem to deal with. And we begin to trust him in, in with more and more things as we begin to know that he is trustworthy. We begin and we do that by seeking who he is. And we must seek his face always. See, seeking God begins right where you are. Right where you are. Today is the day of salvation. It begins right where you are. It's not this, oh, okay, I'm going to begin to seek God and when I go to church. Or I'm going to begin to seek God when I get out of this you know, unpleasant situation. Or I quit doing this horrible habit. It begins right there. My personal shift in my life. Let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read Deuteronomy 4, 28. It says, there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see, hear, eat, or smell. <clears throat> but if from there, from where? From this place of total idolatry, right there, right there, in front of that same little God you made, and right in front of that thing that's pointless and getting you nowhere, right there. It's not you got to backtrack and disconnect from there. From right there, from setting up your, your own selfish desires, is that's what's going to be the Lord of your life. From, from, from going after money or, or after all of these other things, from right there, starting right there, right in the middle of it. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. My walk with God, my shift, did not happen on a Sunday morning with church. A lot of y'all didn't. A lot of y'all had begun to say yes to God well before you show up here on Sunday. Well before that, you, God begins to, to, to mess with you and, and begin to, to churn and to work in your life. It was December 31st, 1991. Me and my buds were out doing the New Year's Eve party thing. And I was with one of my friends in particular. And we ended up um, at a party at some people we didn't even know their house. We got invited by somebody who got invited by somebody who got invited. And uh, so we're at this party and, and uh, you know, go in there. And we've got the, and up until that point in my, during my senior year, 
I had uh, I'd been just drinking a whole whole lot, just just way too much. It's messing with my friends, and and they're like, dude, you're just you're just doing this way too much, and uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I've got this this sad little paper cup full of <laughs> pumped full of keg beer. And I'm sitting in somebody's house. I don't know. The television got kicked in, and there had been a fight right before there. This guy's got his chest cut up, and these two kitchen butcher knives stuck into the, his front belt. Looks like some kind of psycho pirate. And uh, uh, anyways, and so it's just, it's just this stupid, idiotic scene. And I'm sitting there on this couch with somebody I don't know, and my, my bud's sitting right beside me. And I'm telling you, it's just like, it's just like the, the blinders came off. That's the only thing I could see. And I saw... How stupid it was. How pointless and destructive it was. And I knew at that point, I had to make a decision. Right there. I didn't have an altar. I didn't have a preacher. I didn't have something. God was messing with me, and I had to make a decision right there. And I knew if there was any real stick-to-itiveness, I had to make myself accountable to somebody. And I leaned over my butt. I've got my beer in my hand. He's got his beer in his hand. And I leaned over it, and I said, I'm never drinking again. And I set it down. He said, cool. He was fine. I got to be the permanent designated driver. (laughs) He didn't care. And I didn't. That was it. I didn't ever get drunk again in my life. It was just right there in that moment. It wasn't wasn't this some other place. It was right there. As we see God, I'm telling you, you're going to have those right there moments. It may be right there in front of the computer doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing, and God is going to hit you. And you don't have to run and go, oh, i got to go do this. No, it's right there. And the grace of God hits you and the conviction of God hits you, it's right there. You make the decision. See, what we talked about, what Walt Harris talked about is in our men's deal is these groups of three or four men who really get to know each other's face, really get to know each other, and be there to pray for each other and keep each other accountable. Why? Because if there's going to be real growth in our lives, we've got to do that. Just like when I sit there, I, I was going to have to go back and be a liar to my friend to go out and ever drink with him again. It's just right there, that decision and that accountability. God just began to shift in my life. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. So you and I, we're to seek God with all our hearts. And this requires being real and being honest. It requires being real and being honest. See, six months later, I had another major milestone actually no it was no back that up it was six months before and i was at a camp and i was again with a different friend and i did not god was convicting me like crazy i'd gone to camp you know uh for all the right reasons you know find out how many phone numbers i could get and you know who i could have for a girlfriend for a week and uh so had uh, all the right reasons and uh Nobody, no girl wanted to be within uh, arm's length of me, and everything was just, it was just a miserable week, and God was convicting me, and, uh, and so I, and I just had this, this moment, and finally, when we were on this, on this uh, college campus in Denver, Colorado, 
And in the middle of the service, I just stormed out. I just walked out. No, nobody chased me. They didn't send no workers on me. I don't know how I got out of there. And I walk out, and I'm on that college campus, and I go out onto the baseball field, and I'm by, my, by myself. And I'm just sick of God's conviction. I'm tired of it because I'm not going to say yes. I'm not, so just leave me alone. And I'm out there in the middle of this baseball field, and I'm just yelling to the heavens. And I am cussing at God like a madman. I'm dropping the F-bomb at God Almighty like nobody's business. I mean, I am just pouring my guts out to God and saying, leave me the blankety-blank alone. I am not going to do this. I am not. And then my friends were my God at that time. I knew that if I was going to go with God, I couldn't do it. As a, it wasn't a committee decision. It wasn't a, hey, let's all do this. No, it was God was telling me. And I knew that it was going to cost me some friendships. And there in that moment, I just, I just poured out and I was real and I was honest with God. And during, that, during those next couple of days, I made a decision that changed my life forever. Forever. And you'd have looked and on the outside you wouldn't have seen anything different. You wouldn't have noticed anything different. I was still foul-mouthed. I was still hanging out with the same people. I was still, but man, there was this, it was a stake driven in my life. That change began to shift on the inside before it ever showed up on the outside. And that things just began to go. And it was real. And it was honest. God's shoulders are big enough for you to be real and honest with Him. And your frustrations and your desires as you seek His face. It's not that we sit there and pray in King James and, and get down on our hands and knees. And, and if that's real and honest to you, then do it. But you know what? If it's not real and honest then don't do it that way. Be who you are before God. He knows who you are, and He's talking to you, and He's calling you, so be you to Him. And be real and honest and seek Him out. Now, do I use expletives with God? Today, do I say to be real and honest with God, you got to cuss? No, I'm not. I'm saying God is big enough to deal with my stupidity in the moment, with my fleshiness in the moment, of who I was in the moment. And that that was okay. God dealt with that. What I'm saying is we have to be real and honest. Second Chronicles 5, I mean 15, 12, says they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and soul. Psalms 119, 9, 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, see, we got this hiding God's word in our hearts. God's word, what he has to say. See, uh, when Weston was five years old, uh, we had uh, moved into a house and hadn't, hadn't been there that long. And at that point, uh, Carson had his own room because he was like 18 months old. And Keenan and Weston were in a room together. And... Uh, Weston comes up to me one day and tells me that, uh, he said, Dad, uh, I made up a scripture today. And I was like, all right, first off, we don't make up scriptures. God's the one that writes this stuff. Uh, we quote God. Um, we, don't, we don't go in with a pen and add this stuff to our, in here. And so, and I, I told him, you know, gave him a good little lecture that was over his five-year-old head. Um, of, you know, not writing your own scriptures. But then after I was done, you know, 
going, you know, dealing with the audacity of my five-year-old to write his own scripture. Um, then I asked him, okay, well, what did you think needed to be holy writ, you know? What, what did you add to what God has, has not? And so this was his, uh, this was his uh, scripture, is don't turn the light out on somebody when they're in there. <laughs> because Keenan had turned the light out on him when he was in there getting dressed, and, and he got stuck in the dark. And so he thinks that thought the Bible need to say, do not turn the light out on you, somebody, when they're in there. And so we, it, isn't a, it isn't about what we have to say on this. It's about what God has to say. And when we begin to hide God's word in our heart, not hiding our, our own opinion in our heart, our own way we think it ought to go, our own way we think people ought to treat us, our own way we think of this. No, when we hide God's word in our heart, that helps us to walk before God. That is part of seeking God. You say, Brandon, I don't know how to seek God. Where do I start? Well, remember, you, we already covered, you start right where you are. But, but crack this open and begin to see this. This is God's heart to us. That's why we read through it. That's why I post the blog thing every day. It's because this is God's heart to us. And then we begin to find out who he is by reading what he wrote. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a requirement. We've got to believe that God exists if you're going to come to him. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. See, as we seek God out and we see and learn God's nature, we see that God is a rewarder. We so many times see the, what, the things, of the, the don'ts, and we think God is a withholder. Well, don't have fun. Don't do this. Don't get drunk. Don't do this stuff. We think God's a withholder. No, God's not a withholder. He tells us to avoid things for our own good. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As I, as I was seeking God and, and obeyed God, guess what? I've not had a hangover ever again in my life. Uh, it's a reward. Ever since then, I've, I've, never, I've never puked on myself or in the back of anybody else's car ever again. I've never done that again since then. It's a reward, see? And then we begin, God begins to place good things in our life of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. He rewards on levels that are temporal, on things we need, and on things that are so much more that are eternal. James 1, 16 through 17 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalms 119.2 says, Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. We keep his statutes, that's his word. We seek him with all our heart, then there's this blessing that is attached to it. Again, it's about seeking his face and not his hand, but guess what? His hand is attached to who he is. He is a blesser. He does bless us. He cares about us. And it's not because of our desperate need. It's because of who he is in his nature. Psalms 34, 8 through 10 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. I like that lack nothing part. That is a good thing. 
But we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's not that he can do good things. It's that he is good. Genesis 15.1 says, After this, the, Lord, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram got offered the ultimate, that God himself was Abram's reward. See, we talked about entering in, enter in, enter in to your reward. God is our reward. Who he is is our reward. That's why we seek God's face. Who God is contains all that we need. That's why we seek to know him. Who he is and contains all that we need. We are completed in him. He is everything to us. And that's why we seek God's face. This morning, I appreciate it if everybody could just bow your heads right quick and close your eyes. And we're going to create a, a quiet moment here right before we're done. And if you're here and you say, man, Brandon, I, uh, I don't really have a relationship with God. I, I don't know what this is about. I've just, I showed up at church because I thought it would be the right thing to do. And somebody asked me or this is what I, my mama would be proud of me or why ever you're here. You say, but I need to know God in that kind of way. And see, the only way you can really know God and have that kind of relationship with God is through Jesus. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Any who come to the Father must come by Him. Not because God's playing favorites, but that's because Jesus is the only thing that deals with thing, 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 